Hello and welcome to JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. I'm your host, Meera Chandan, uh, co-head of FX Strategy at JP Morgan. And uh, we have a, glo- a global lineup today uh, from the FX team. We've got uh, uh, my partner, the co-head of FX Strategy in uh, Asia, Arundam Sindhilya. Uh, we've got uh, uh, two joiners from London, uh, Antonin Delaire on the systematic side and James Nelligan on uh, European currencies. And we've got Patrick Locke over in uh, New York, who will be talking about some of the US issues and the main trading uh, themes. Um, this is the first part of a two-part series we're going to do on the year ahead outlook. It's going to discuss mostly the macro view, and we'll have a second follow-up one um, with, uh, with more themes on the derivative side. So I'm going to kick off on Euro um, uh, and the broad dollar picture, and then uh, and then we'll go through uh, various three uh, themes with the rest of the team as well. So starting with the broad dollar, um, I think the first observation to make here is that the dispersion in macro views is very high. Uh, we find that within our economics team, we find that within the discussions that we have with global clients, and uh, and certainly you know the the range of outcomes uh, it it starts from one end of the spectrum with the soft uh, you know with with the soft landing uh, to a potentially a U.S. recession, uh, and on the other hand, something like a U.S. exceptionalism narrative, which was really the dominant theme in two thousand twenty three. And uh, I think given these range of outcomes, um, you know, it was always going to be a hard call on the dollar. Uh, you know, our view is that one needs to be tactical in this environment, but our baseline really is for the dollar to be bumpy, but for it to stay at elevated levels. Uh, you know, the preference would be certainly a buy on dips kind of strategy, uh, as uh, the main idea here is that the markets are going to vacillate between U.S. exceptionalism on the one hand and U.S. recession on the other. Uh, so that means uh, essentially that the valley of the dollar smile is actually quite, going to be quite narrow uh, and potentially shallow. And what we need really for a large kind of double digit dollar weakness is really for Fed cuts. Uh, but not just that, we also need better growth outside of the U.S. And it's really the latter that we are more concerned about as far as Europe and uh, China is concerned on the big ones. Uh, on the euro dollar, uh, you know, we are setting out, um, as you know, regular listeners will know, we have been uh, bearish on euro dollar. We had an out of consensus 105 call uh, for uh, for Q4 of this year. And, uh, you know, we, we extended that to parity uh, and that forecast, uh, you know, sort of remains to the extent that, you know, we think for the first half, for example, our, uh, the, the range should be parity to 105. How extreme uh, that lower end of the bound is tested on, on our range is going to depend on how much larger the growth gap um, in Europe gets. Um, and certainly, you know, we could see a couple of scenarios that sort of get us to parity. But the key thing here is really that, um, again, just like for the dollar, I think it's not just going to be about the Fed pause. What we really need to see for a large rebound um, in the euro is for local growth to really pick up. And I think there the jury's still out. Uh, the PMIs tomorrow are going to be very important in uh, sort of ascertaining whether uh, the lower end of our um, forecast can be reached. Uh, so stay tuned. But certainly, uh, you know, we, we see very few prospects here for a resounding rebound unless the growth momentum locally is picking up. But the starting point is that we are pretty downbeat uh, on the economy, you know, and and in large part because this is not the same situation as uh, this time last year when TTF gas prices, you know, fell from 120 to substantially lower levels. In the current case, energy prices are already low. They've been low for most of the year. Uh, and we're not really getting the big bang China reopening kind of uh, uh, stimulus that's going to really help with the momentum story either. So we're more downbeat this year. 
but uh, but you know, stay tuned because, as I said, the tactic, the strategy will be to approach this um, this view and to implement it quite tactically, depending on uh, what various growth signals are telling you. Uh, so, with that dollar and euro dollar view in mind, um, let's just uh, move on to Asia, Arindam. If you can kick off with the China, uh, the view on China, uh, what the baseline is, and uh, what you're thinking about dollar CNH, that that would be great. Sure, thanks, Mira. Um, as far as the China macro story for 24 goes, you know, we are anticipating only a lukewarm Chinese recovery as uh, destocking in the real estate sector continues. You know, China is going through a well understood rebalancing away from uh, housing towards advanced manufacturing. We think that process, while required, is, is painful and that should dampen the extent of uh, any growth upside we can get from uh, stimulatory fiscal policy out of China. And that should in turn limit the shelf life of any uh, cyclical China lift trades to more or less just Q1. Um, on aggregate, uh, we are looking for a bounded lift uh, in China growth uh, in the absence of bazooka type stimulus. Uh, and even that growth profile should start to trend downwards through the back half of the year. What does this mean for CNY effects? Well, this combination of limited but front loaded growth lift plus the usual seasonal pattern we get of Chinese exporters unloading dollars into late Q4, early Q1 till the Lunar New Year prompted us uh, to move to the sidelines on short CNY last month. It uh, fortunately allowed us to sidestep this washout of the last week. Uh, but that said, uh, this move has largely been policy-driven in our minds. It's evidenced by the continued pressure lower in CNY fixings. And it doesn't reflect, at least in our minds, the market's enthusiasm to embrace a, a China growth lift narrative. You know, unlike it at this time last year when markets were gung-ho about reopening. So we can see this in the way that Chinese equities are trading and they continue to trade soft. No sign of reversals in uh, equity outflows from China. And the game plan for us then for 24 is to try to trade CNY from the short side, but on a CFED's basket basis, uh, at least so long as the DXY remains flat to slightly soft on the idea that uh, CNY appreciation is uh, capped relative to partner currencies if the DXY is in that sort of an environment, and not to mention that CNY's yield is also quite a bit uh, inferior to them. Uh, thanks, Arindam. So having covered the euro and the CNY uh, view, let's just move on to the macro uh, themes that we're focused on uh, in terms of where the opportunities are for in FX um, in 2024. Uh, Patrick, uh, let's hear your thoughts on that, please. Yeah, thanks, Mira. Um, so we're taking more of a bottoms up approach, I'd say, to trades this year, um, since, as you as you mentioned, the kind of the big top down is looking fairly uncertain uh, across our range of probabilities. Um, so broadly speaking, I think we see some some decent RV opportunities um, across basically three distinct channels, uh, central bank rate cuts, valuation convergence, and then kind of recession sequencing as well. Um, more broadly, I think yield compression is, is generally a very interesting and also very important kind of angle that we're going to have to be grappling with next year. Um, you know, from my perspective, I think ideally you want to look across G10 and see which candidates check multiple of those boxes that I just mentioned. Um, we think that's generally the case for Stocky. Um, it's, in a, it's essentially exiting a recession. The valuation is good. Uh, we actually think that lower rates could even be a positive tailwind there, just given how rate sensitive that economy has proven this year. Uh, so generally, we like Stocky against Euro, uh, Sterling and Czech. 
Uh, stocking against Czech in particular kind of also reflects what we believe will be more of a rotation away from, you know, carry towards value uh, with check rates falling enough to kind of erode its high yield status. So I think there's particular conviction in that view. Um, and I also think it's a nice expression of the broader theme of, of yield compression that I, that I just mentioned and something we'll be looking to leverage. Uh, and lastly, stock is also a good vehicle in case you really think a global soft landing is imminent. Uh, so again, there's a lot of ways that I think Stocky could seemingly do well uh, in the coming months. Uh, more broadly on the point of rotations and, and currencies that are, you know, quote, built different, uh, I'd say 2024 is looking more diverse across DM economies than really at any other point this cycle. Uh, and so there should be opportunities there. Uh, in addition to what I've already mentioned, that favors currencies like Aussie against Kiwi in our view, uh, given both the different growth trajectories there uh, and the very seemingly different monetary policy outlooks. Uh, we also kind of favor the dollar against CAD, uh, given some nascent kind of cyclical divergences there. Uh, and we also think, you know, we're also kind of highlighting sterling since um, that's kind of one of the standouts in terms of uh, potential recession risks uh, for this year. So speaking to this idea of uh, kind of rolling or sequential recessions happening throughout the DM space. Uh, otherwise, we've added a little bit more dollar exposure at this juncture. Um, we'd rather prefer to be patient there. Uh, even though we're still generally constructive, I think. Uh, so again, uh, we like the dollar against CAD a bit higher at these levels. Uh, and we also hold on to a few existing positions that we had uh, coming into the year ahead outlook. Uh, and the flip side of that is basically that we're sticking with uh, with our existing suite of bearish euro positions. Uh, so we continue to like euro downside against both the dollar uh, and the Swiss franc. Yeah, thanks a lot, Patrick. And I think this yield compression story is uh, is quite an important and dominant theme for next year, particularly uh, since it's going to be led by the highest yielders, uh, which uh, which I think brings us to the main uh, sort of the highlight of 2023, which was it was the golden year for FX carry with north of 20% returns on carry baskets, a record for the strategy. Um, Antonin, what is the outlook for FX carry? Is it still going to be another twenty percent year, or do you think um, it's uh, it's mostly done? Uh, yeah, sure, Mira. As you said, twenty twenty three was the year of FX carry. The strategy delivered plus twenty percent return in the first semester. In the second part of the year, the strategy was more flat, but still ended up in positive territory with yield accrual in most cases. So it's also important to mention that the other side of this trade was the value factor, especially in G10, which collapsed as funders become, became cheaper and cheaper, especially yen, obviously, some low yielders in Asia and even some Nordic currencies. So to to get our outlook for 2024, it's important to understand the driver which brings us this kind of performance. And the main driver was the divergence between central bank policies with some very hawkish EM on one side, such as Mexico, for instance, to the BOG at the other side. And so going into 2024, we are less constructive on carry. And I think it becomes a narrow, narrower team as, and we start to be more positive on value reversion, especially central banks are forecast to cut globally, led by the IS leader, which is the, the reverse dynamic. Uh, yield offer on carry basket peaked already. It's decreasing now and will reach low historical levels by end of 2024. So performance of FX carry is directly linked to the yield you are offering on the basket. So for us, it's the main argument uh, against carry. And if we think a bit in terms of different scenario, we don't know if a recession will happen, but carry is obviously a high beta strategy, so you don't really 
necessarily want to belong that strategy in such case. If you think about, for instance, a bit higher inflation in the US, uh, EM has, high yielders have shown recently that they were highly vulnerable to US rates, probably more than some already distressed short. Even in the sort of best case for high beta assets with disinflation plus soft landing, carry would probably perform as a high beta strategy, but all high beta assets will, and carry will not necessarily be the, the inflation resistant and diversifying trade that we had in 2022 and 2023. So for all that reason, we prefer to stay away from carry and we are in focus more on valuations instead. Yeah, thanks a lot, Anton. And, and I think speaking of valuations, it's interesting because uh, we do have, um, uh, you know, the Scandi currencies, Nokia and Stocky, both that tends to cheat, uh, you know, screen on the cheap end of the spectrum. Uh, so maybe it's worthwhile, James. Uh, how about we have a discussion on the bottom up, uh, uh, you know, macro views on uh, the Scandies as well as, uh, of course, Sterling and Swiss. Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks, Mira. Um, as you say, uh, Scandi currency is cheap and uh, screening cheap uh, on the on the long term. But um, I think I think there's a there's a little bit of divergence between the two between Noki and Stocky. I mean, just starting with Stocky, I think um, we're we're shifting view here at, at the term turn of the year. We've been uh, bearish Stocky throughout the year, and I think we're getting to a place now where the growth slowdown there is very well priced. Um, there's a recession sequencing angle to Stocky where, you know, Sweden has arguably experienced, you know, very much recession-like conditions. And uh, that's that's well-priced in the currency. We've got a few models in the outlook which look at Stocky uh, relative to domestic growth, relative growth, global cyclicals. As it's running around 5% cheap uh, to growth. You know, on average, Stocky depreciates in trade-weighted terms around uh, 16% in a recession, and it's, it's already done 15% since the post-COVID high. So the growth slowdown is well-priced. Um, I think there's there's potential for the market perception on on Swedish housing risks to to housing market risks to, to ease if, if, if we get to a position where the market starts to think more about Riksbank easing. Um, so that there's around uh, 25 basis points of cuts to uh, to November next year in the market, and our our Scandi economist is is going for around 100 basis points of cuts next year. So, um, you want to be thinking about which are the most levered economies that have the ability to benefit from higher rates. Um, obviously, the reaction function this year, Stocky got into a bit of a dangerous feedback loop, whereby you know Rick's bank policy tightening hurt growth via the housing market that hurt Stocky. That created currency-driven inflation, um, which which then fed back round to more Rick's bank easing. We could be entering at the kind of world where that feedback loop actually goes into reverse, and you know a Rick's bank on pause or thinking about cuts could actually be be good for the currency at the same time as it's screening quite cheap. So um, we do we do like stocky over over the course of the year. Um, in the forecasts, we've got a, a move down to to around uh, ten thirty in in euro stocky. Um, over the course of the year, for Noki, um, things things are a bit different. Um, you've got a bit of a catch down story in growth, where Norway did outperform Europe and Sweden through the year on growth, and now it looks like the surveys are, are going to soften a bit. We get the regional network in December, which I think will be quite interesting. I think that could be quite soft at the same time as you've got about fifteen basis points priced for December Norges Bank. And 
risks are they actually don't move um so certainly on a tactical horizon i think there's there's reason to be to be bearish knocky sure you do have the the valuation the cheap valuation um argument over the longer term but i think i think the path's going to be difficult to get there because you, you do also have terms risks coming from terms of trade um so our oil and gas strategists are talking about risks of higher supply uh, the market starts worrying about higher supply. If, if you start thinking about potentially OPEC normalizing supply again, not necessarily base case, but it's a risk as we move through the year um, that, that the market starts to think about normalizing supply into a world where demand growth isn't really at a situation where it can digest that um, for, for price. Um, in terms of Norges Bank FX purchases, they are going to, to fall. We've got them moving to around seven to 800 uh, million um, over the course of the million per day over the course of the year. So that's that's a, a decent normalization, but it's it's still high historically. And uh, we, we the market does have a bit of a tendency to underestimate petroleum revenue. So so that that there's risks of that being a bit more sticky. But um, we do also have rate spreads moving against Nokia over the course of the year in terms of our rate strategist forecasts. Um, so the, the, you know if I was to pick a recovery trade, you know, out of the Scandi currencies, it would definitely more be towards uh, stocky or, or a recovery view, sorry, um, rather than knocky. Um, you do also have this this uh, structural dovishness from the Norges Bank. So we have some charts in the, the year ahead going over um, inflation, where inflation's running relative to forecasts. Um, and Norges Bank have just been the most tolerant in, in central bank in terms of inflation running above above forecasts um, or forecasts running above above their targets, sorry, at the policy horizon. Um, and just from a kind of purchasing power parity perspective, the Norges Bank are telling you that they're, they're going to be more tolerant of high inflation and that's going to erode the currency over time. And I think that's been a big reason why Binocchi's been an underperformer uh, this year. And uh, we don't see really that that structural dovishness going away, given that the financial stability concerns are still still there for the board. Um, moving on to sterling. Um, so again, it's the flip side of, of stocky, really. Uh, so thinking about recession sequencing, we've got the UK heading into recession and in, into the second half of the year. And you've had you know a pretty sizable trade-weighted appreciation from, from sterling in terms of you know that you look at a, a one-year look back peak to trough view. Um, seems to be underpricing recession risks in in our view. Um, just thinking about risk case risk risk uh, views around that growth view, we just run a simple model for the PMIs using gilt yields, and it suggests uh, the composite PMI could get down to around forty five by March as a kind of risk case view. Um, so downside risks for growth, given that the feed through of policy tightening uh, for sterling. Um, quite asymmetric there in terms of the recession sequencing view. Um, and then you have more structural concerns. So we look at UK productivity relative to Europe and the US um, having materially underperformed since COVID doesn't really justify sterling uh, trade weighted trading above uh, longer run averages. Uh, you've had the labor market in the UK, first, the first G10 economy to trigger the SARM rule this year. Uh, we do project further labor market loosening and then the housing market, which has been kind of a pillar of, of UK resiliency at, at times during the year, you're going to, yes, there is a slower pass through, but you are going to have around 28% of the, the owner occupied mortgage stock 
uh, resetting um, through the year. Our, our credit analysts see that could that could take up around eight to ten percent of disposable income. So you're going to have the housing market still weighing on growth. Um, so we think there's a, there's a good angle for for a slowdown in the UK relative to other economies where res, recession is is better priced. Um, and we've got Bank of England cuts coming in Q4. Uh, we think there's there's enough progress in in the labour market and inflation for the market to start thinking more about cuts. Um, so we're we're quite bearish sterling. Uh, we've got cable moving down to around 117, 118 in in the first half of the year. Um, and then for Swiss, finally, it's really a, a continued story of of safe haven appeal. Really, uh, we don't really see the reason for European regional growth. We don't really see how that how there's going to be a major recovery there. I mean, you had a lot of imported tightening in Europe over the summer from from the US without the ECB really doing much, and and that's that's yet to hit the PMIs really. Um, so we don't really see where the European recovery is going to come from. And in terms of safe haven flows into Swiss, that's historically been quite important. And I think you know it's, it sounds a bit left field, but I think China is quite important for for Swiss as well. Um, you're not really seeing major stimulus there, which is which obviously feeds through to Europe with a lag given the trade and equity earnings linkages. So um, if you're not going to see that have an impact on Europe, then again, that just boosts the, the Swiss safe haven appeal a bit more as well. Um, we're not convinced, fully convinced that, that fixed income is is still a, a proper portfolio hedge um, in, in replace of, of Swiss when we're thinking about the range of safe haven assets, you know, our rate strategists are still talking about term premium being an issue, bond supply being an issue, a lack of uh, price insensitive buyers, particularly at the long end of the curve. Um, and they've got steepeners on there. So I think I think that just helps Swiss from the perspective of safe haven flows. Um, and then you've got the, the, the flow picture up from from Switzerland, you've still got very strong balance of payments. And then when we think about the SMB, um, and think about maybe where the, where the thresholds are for them to start um, selling Swiss. Uh, we, we've done some historical work there, which which shows that you really need headline inflation running around 0.75 and core at 0.5 to justify them selling Swiss, and that's below both their own forecasts and the market forecast. So we think the bar's quite high for them to sell Swiss, and so even if they stop buying uh, Swiss, which um, which they haven't really done yet, but is, is a risk, then the flow picture in, in aggregate is still very, very bullish Swiss. Um, and I think purchasing power parity is, is very important for Swiss from a long-term perspective. Um, structurally, lower inflation in Switzerland re- relative to other economies. Um, and the SMB really should be cutting to offset that, um, but they're not. Um, so purchasing power power is telling power parity is telling you that Euro Swiss should drift lower over the course of the year. And you still have geopolitical risk ongoing. So you look over the course of next year, there's nearly 30 major political events across DM and EM over the next year, um, not to mention the, the US election. So um, it's not clear that, you know, geopolitical risk premium should be fully coming out of Swiss. Uh, we, we try and measure it in the outlook. It's, you know, it's, it's moderated since the, since the October um, tensions in, in the Middle East, but um, there's, there's reason for it to, to stay there a bit in our view. Um, so we've got Euro Swiss kind of troughing out at 94 in the forecast. 
Uh, that's that's okay. all. That's uh, I think. Thank, thanks for that, James. I think that's a very good segue um, into the U.S. elections. Actually, it's not a topic that everyone's talking about. It's still um, a year away. But uh, Patrick, maybe we can uh, maybe we can think about uh, and talk about how the U.S. elections could potentially end up affecting the dollar and how would it be meaningful for uh, FX markets next year? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mira. Um, I definitely expect U.S. elections to be an increasing focal point uh, of discussions as we head into next year. Um, there are a lot of implications, I think, for markets and particularly FX space, uh, in part because right now, um, you know, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are both pulling about equally. If that persists deeper into next year, then I think markets and especially FX are going to have to brace uh, for the potential return of tariffs um, that's already being uh, discussed. Uh, and it's particularly important for FX because, uh, as we saw in 2018, 2019, um, there are multiple channels through which FX is affected, uh, in some cases, uh, unique channels. Um, and so the bottom line is basically that, um, you know, if polls kind of persist at these levels, around these levels going forward, uh, we think there's kind of an upside skew of risks from the elections uh, to the dollar. But, you know, just thinking kind of through the main transmission channels, um, you know, for, for elections into the FX, we have potential tariffs, uh, there's this fiscal, and there's also, you know, currency policy as well. Um, but for the time being, we think kind of the, the tariff risk is the most immediate, um, in part because we have kind of a playbook in which FX responds via the competitiveness channel. We saw that uh, with dollar CNY moving up uh, in 2018, 2019, um, consistent with the effective tariff rate. Uh, and then secondly as well, uh, the potential risks of spilling over uh, to, glo to negative global growth drags. Uh, that also proved um, to, be to, to be dollar positive uh, the last time around. Um, so certainly think that that could be kind of, you know, um, the key concerns for markets. And certainly it's a case that, uh, you know, tariffs and trade policy more broadly are interesting in that um, they can generally be implemented without kind of, uh, you know, Congress's approval, i.e. the White House can act unilaterally on these decisions, which is at odds with fiscal policy, which tends to uh, tends to require uh, Congress passing legislation. And so there's an immediacy angle uh, to potential tariff risk as well. So, again, I think there's a, there's quite a few reasons for which FX should kind of be, a, you know, a focal point for uh, pricing and risk premium um, or ahead of the ahead of the elections next year. In terms of, um, you know, currencies that we would be watching in, in such an environment, um, obviously, CNY was a focal point last year. There are some nuances this time around. I mean, um, China still has a effectively a 20% tariff rate still on it. Uh, certainly the domestic backdrop uh, is very different now from back then. Um, and you could say stuff about, you know, valuations and uh, positioning in CNY. Um, but nevertheless, you know, you'd expect CNY to be generally um, kind of the first port of call uh, if we're talking about this kind of uh, election environment next year. Um, but we've also done an exercise objectively looking at, um, you know, across a range of measures, positioning, valuation, and trade exposure to the U.S. Uh, to highlight other currencies that, um, you know, might 
fall under the remit um, of a potential broadening of, of tariff risk. And, uh, you know, Euro, MEX, and Select EM Asia, I think, also stand out on that case. On the flip side, uh, in the prior 2018-19 episode, Swiss and Yen tended to do well. I think this is another reason to expect, you know, a potential a potential boost to, to Swiss. Yen's a little bit more mixed. Certainly the valuations are attractive, but, you know, if, if a broader kind of implementation of tariffs were perceived as broadly inflationary, then it's not as clear this time around that uh, Yen can buck its kind of current uh, set of weakness. Uh, on the whole, though, you know, from from tariff risk in particular, we see you know, potential four to six percent increase in the dollar twi if it were to be broadly in, implemented sometime in early 2025. Um, we think that's ultimately the main channel with the biggest dollar impact uh, from our from our analysis, and so uh, we think that will be probably the focal point of pricing in a risk premium next year. Supposing that these election polls continue to stay close. Okay, thanks, uh, Patrick. That's going to give us some interesting themes for next year. Um, uh, let's just uh, start to wrap up this uh, this podcast. Uh, first, um, Antonin, um, a quick uh, two-minute rundown from you on, uh, based on models, what would be the best recession and recovery uh, themes? Sure, Mira. Uh, considering like the wide range of possible market scenario, we wanted to flag like the best ideas in both recession and recovery. So we consider the two opposite cases for 2024, the soft landing with several months of significant rally in risk assets, and the second opposite case being a significant downturn with risk assets collapsing. So what are the best trade or the trade which screens the best from the quant side in both cases? So by best trade, we mean high payout, potentially skewed return toward one of the two cases with a cheap and, if possible, decent or positive carry. So for the perfect soft landing with risk asset rallying, the best teams would be bullish G10i beta versus USD. It's historically the highest payout. There is some potential in uh, distressed currencies such as NOC, long NOC versus USD. Uh, bullish uh, long selective IBETA EM versus USD. ZAR and COP screen the best with high payout and positive carry. Uh, bullish Nordics versus Euro or bullish Aussie versus some of the rich low beta Asia. Uh, such as Singapore, for instance. Keep in mind that GPY is, is very cheap, so shorting more GPY would probably not screen as the strongest upside. And bearish CHF is usually not recommended as, as it's a skew trade, meaning short CHF does not perform as much in rally as long CHF does in downturns. So for the opposite case, like the recession with risk asset, with the collapse of risk assets, uh, we must also keep in mind like bullish USD versus I-beta G10 is historically the highest payout and it's also positive carry, but it's currently very expensive. Long CHF is also expensive as well. So that leaves us as the best screening trade. Uh, uh, GPY crosses screens, uh, screens the best in terms of valuation, but you need an implementation to not suffer too much from carry. So that would mean bullish GPY versus, for instance, Euro or Z or... Uh, Korea in such a recession scenario. Another possibility would be bullish CNY versus Euro or Aussie. 
which is defensive and not too expensive. And finally, one that we mentioned several times uh, during this uh, podcast, uh, bullish sec versus relatively uh, higher beta GTN currencies, such as, for instance, uh, Kiwi. That's it for like the trades in both extreme scenarios. Thanks a lot, um, Antonin. And of course, you know, the, to clarify, this is through the model's view when, uh, you know, we need to sort of check with the fundamental bottom-up view as well uh, when we're thinking about these themes. But that was uh, that was a great rundown. And uh, let's wrap up finally, um, Arindam. Um, you know, we will, of course, have a, a second deeper dive uh, call for derivatives uh, later. But can you give us the two-minute download on what macro investors should know uh, about FX volatility and derivatives themes uh, for next year. Yes, hey, show me. Uh, so just in the interest of time, uh, three quick bullet points from me. First, that FX vol enters 2024 quite low in levels. They've unwound all of their post-Ukraine uh, run-up and they are now screening significantly cheap to rate vol. Second, uh, sadly, uh, cheap to rate vol does not mean that FX vols are due for imminent mean reversion higher. In fact, History teaches you that when vol screens low on metrics like these, the standard pattern is that it remains low for one or two quarters before something happens and uh, some sort of mean reversion ensues. Uh, and the third is uh, just thinking about the uh, potential macro environment for vols in the first uh, couple of quarters of, of the year. Uh, the global macro community seems like it's undecided on the end point of the global cycle in H1 and the dollar could remain bumpy, as you said at the outset, but may be bounded within uh, still well-traveled ranges. Uh, and the Fed is on hold over this period. And those are also reasons to think that FX falls may not shoot imminently shoot higher uh, in a material fashion. Uh, what are we recommending um, in terms of themes of trades? First, we do have to think about the other side of this view. How could we be wrong? Uh, if we are in a recession and we don't know it, then of course we are wrong. Uh, second, uh, we are very mindful of some of the political risks that bad flagged if uh, politics trumps economics and uh, tariff risks become front and center for markets, then vols are not going to remain at the levels that they are today. Uh, so we are thinking um, that uh, generally vol portfolio should be constructed in a balanced fashion, trying to combine uh, carry trades that are not exposed to tail risks with uh, blow up hedges uh, that essentially hedge against uh, a washout of the uh, well-performing carry trades of 22 and 23. The details are all in the year ahead outlook. We are going to have another call, as you said, uh, but in the meantime, uh, please do uh, reach out to us if there are questions or if you have interest to discuss further. Back to you, Mira. Uh, great, thanks. So very interesting uh, year and lots of interesting themes for 2024. Uh, yield compression, uh, carry becoming harder, uh, allowing valuations to compress, uh, and uh, of course the U.S. elections uh, as well. So uh, lots, lots of interesting themes to look forward to. As Anandam said, all the details are in uh, available in our reports on JPMorganMarkets.com. Uh, this communication is provided for information purposes only. Uh, please refer to J.P. Morgan Research reports related to its content for more information including important disclosures, 2023 J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on November 22, 2023.